Let's, let's have God's word open us up. Philippians 4, 4. Philippians 4, 4. And let's all rise as we read God's word together. This is the word of the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Please be seated. Uh, in Philippians we find that there is this steady reminder and constant command to rejoice. However, if you think about the actual situation, if you think about the circumstances that surround Paul and the church in Philippi, joy is the last thing that is probably on their minds. If you recall at this time, Paul, he is in prison, unable to do the thing that he loves most, planting churches. Further, his adversaries, his enemies, are using this opportunity to smear his name. So Paul, not only is he immobile, but everything he did before in the past was being tarnished. His work was being broken down. The church in Philippi was also experiencing disappointment. Remember, they had sent Epaphroditus to Paul, with the hopes that they can partner together in mission work. But Epaphroditus gets sick, and he has to return, and their plans that they had prepared all along, the things that they had prayed for, just goes poof into thin air. Imagine, you could just think about the church in Philippi. They issued this grand vision statement. This is what we're going to do. They had... Hours and hours of committee meetings, hours and hours of praying and fasting, and the church, with much sacrifice, gave to this cause. Their hearts were fully invested in this, and after a short while, Epaphroditus gets sick and he has to return. And they're back to square one again. Further, there's fighting and division that's going on in the church. Two prominent members, Euodia and Syndike, they are in a dispute, so the tension is high in the church. You know, it seems that for Paul and the church, nothing was going according to plan. Their experience was one of dashed hopes, failed plans, unexpected detours, and major, major disappointments. I think all of us can resonate with this experience. We have, in the past few months, become all too familiar with disappointment, unplanned delays, unexpected detours. I'm sure many of us had goals and plans for the year that just vanished into thin air. And still, with just so many things in the balance, with so much that is unknown, even a week or a month from now, rejoicing is probably the last thing that we are doing Being filled with joy is the last thing that we are as a church, as a family, and as an individual. Instead, we are anxious, we worry, we grumble and complain, or more dangerously, we are complacent. We've given up. We've been defeated. You know, this is the exact situation that Paul is writing to as he writes the church in Philippi. Disappointment and defeat is thick in the air when he tells the church, when he writes to the church these following words. 
But Philippians 4, 6, it makes sense when he says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer, let your request be known to God. See, Paul knows the church is anxious. They're worrying. What is going to happen? See, Paul has this in mind as he writes in chapter 2, verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing because the church is in a difficult time. And finally, in today's passage, do all things or rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. See, the, the context or the background is quite similar. The church has almost been defeated. There's so much disappointment that the members are facing, that Paul is enduring. And these are the words that he writes. And these are the words that I believe our Lord wants us to hear this morning. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I, I will say, rejoice. Today, I just want to answer two questions. First, what is joy and how can we be joyful? Two simple questions. What is joy? How can we be joyful? You know, at first, I thought that Paul was being ironic here, right? In the midst of difficulty and disappointment, Paul says, rejoice. I thought, Paul, are you being ironic or insensitive? How can we rejoice when things are not going well? But then, when I started to think about how the Bible talks about joy, I remembered that whenever the Bible mentions joy, hardship and adversity are not far off. In this really odd way, the Bible couples joy and difficulty together. They always come hand in hand. For instance, look, look at what James says in chapter 1, verse 2. He says this, count it all joy. When what? When you meet trials of various kinds. Or John 16, 22, he says this, you have sorrow now, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Again, when joy is mentioned, sorrow, trials, adversity, they're not far off. Or a well-known verse, Psalm 35, says this, Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And finally, perhaps the most well-known, Habakkuk 3, says this, Though the fig tree should not blossom, though the f nor fruit be on the vine, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. You see, looking at this, it made me realize something. It made me realize that joy is most apparent, it's most accessible, and joy is most appreciated in the midst of adversity. I would go as far as to say that without hardship, without pain, without difficulty, true joy is incomprehensible. See, joy is different from happiness. You see, if you're happy, you can't be sad. And if you're sad, you can't be happy. But joy, joy is different. Joy is able to embrace everything. You see, even if you're facing disappointment, depression, difficulty, even if you've experienced betrayal, hurt, adversity, and pain, you can still have joy. In fact, I would argue to say that these are immense opportunities for joy.
I mean, consider the moments when you experienced overwhelming joy. It always begins with adversity. It's always in the context of pain and suffering or some sort of hardship. When you're in that moment and you start to look over the horizon as you anticipate deliverance, as you anticipate relief, as you see the night breaking and the sun rising, as you see the difficulty dissipating, that's when this inexpressible joy comes upon you. What is joy? I like to define it in this way. Joy is the blissful emotion that comes over you when you either experience or anticipate deliverance. I remember uh, when I was young, um, what brought me the most joy was the summer break. Uh, Having two whole months just to lounge around, no homework, no school, it brought tremendous joy. Now, there are some children here, and I know you've never heard of such a thing before, called a break. (laughs) There is such a thing. There once was. When your parents and I were growing up, the summer was about zero studying. If we were old enough, we got a summer job, and we played outside all day. The beach, the mall, the movie theater, the park, it was pure joy. However, you know what was also joyful? The anticipation of summer break. What was also joyful was not just experiencing the summer break, but anticipating the summer break. Even though there would still be a month of school left and state exams and final papers were due, I would sit in that hot, sweaty classroom without any AC, and my mind would drift, and I would start to anticipate the break coming, summer coming, and this feeling of joy would come over me. See, joy comes whenever we experience or anticipate deliverance. That's why for the Christian, there are always two moments of inexpressible joy. Always two. The first moment is when you were saved. When you experienced deliverance from sin to salvation. When you put your faith in Jesus and you were delivered from death to life. And in the Bible, whenever salvation is mentioned, the response is joy. Be joyful. Be joyful. Remember the joy of your salvation. But the other moment of joy is whenever you anticipate deliverance. Whenever you anticipate deliverance for your situation or for others or even for the world when you think about the coming of Jesus. Have you ever prayed for someone's salvation? Have you ever prayed for your parents, your friends, your loved ones that they may know Jesus? Well, when you pray for someone's salvation and you start to anticipate deliverance, when you start to see them coming to faith by, not not by actually experiencing it, but just by faith believing it. When you start to, by faith, believe and see your loved ones kneeling before God, confessing to Jesus, you are my Savior and my Lord. Joy comes over you. It washes over you. Or when you start to anticipate Jesus' return. When you start to anticipate heaven coming down, meeting earth. When you start to anticipate seeing Jesus face to face. 
joy comes over you. You see, joy is a close cousin of hope. The two are deeply related. Or as one author said, joy is why hope can smile. See, there's a hope factor in joy, a looking forward and an anticipatory nature to joy. Where while we are in adversity now and difficulty now, we can look over and anticipate the sun rising and the night breaking. And that brings joy. See, joy is always painted on the canvas of adversity. What is joy? It's the blissful emotion that comes over you when you either experience or anticipate deliverance. So the next question, then how can we be joyful? Well, if you look in today's passage, Paul makes it clear. He says this, rejoice in the Lord. He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord and your circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord and your outcome. Rejoice in the Lord and the answered prayers. No, he says simply rejoice in the Lord. Do you notice a theme here? Last week when we talked about strength, how can we have strength? Paul says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Or two weeks ago, to live is what? It is Christ, to die is gain. You see, for Paul, Jesus has to be at the heart, at the center of everything. He has to be the source. He has to be the source of strength. He has to be the purpose of life. He has to be the giver of joy. And anything we add will only take away from the gospel. It's subtraction by addition. The more we say, I will rejoice in the Lord and something else, the more we are taking away, stripping the gospel of its power. There's this interesting scene in the gospels where um, Jesus sends out 70 disciples. And he says, go, I want you to proclaim the kingdom. They go and they come back and they are so excited. They start to tell Jesus, 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 you know what we did? We went out and we... Uh, exercise demons. Demons were actually listening to us when we told them to get out. We healed people. We saw so many different miracles happen. We saw the kingdom advancing. Look at what we've done, Jesus. And you know what Jesus says? He says, don't rejoice over that. But he said this, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's all great stuff. But what you should really be joyful for is that your names are written in heaven. In other words, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice as you hope for Jesus' return. You know, friends, I think um, some of you might be thinking, well, this is rather simplistic. You might be thinking, well, you know, I don't have the bandwidth to reminisce about my salvation, and I don't have the courage to actually look forward to Jesus' return. The present is too pressing. Life in the moment right now is too difficult. There are too many things to worry about. Keeping up with the news and updates on COVID is like a part-time job. 
On top of that, all the school updates and the board meetings. I'm worrying about my family's health and my job security. Every time I get a phone call, I wonder, who is it going to be? Who is next? What is happening? On top of that, my plans that I've had for this year, my plans to progress forward in life are all delayed. And you want me to rejoice in the Lord. Yes. Because if you recall, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If to live is Christ, everything else in this life is window dressing. And Jesus is enough to rejoice in. You know, C.S. Lewis, uh, the author, talks a lot about joy. In fact, for Lewis, joy is the sum emotion for the Christian experience. Jesus, or not Jesus, Lewis, often we Christians get that confused. (laughs) But C.S. Lewis describes joy as a longing. He says, joy is different from happiness because joy is predicated on something being missing. See, if you want to experience joy, there has to be a hole. There has to be a void. And joy comes when that void is filled or when you start to anticipate that void being filled. When that longing is satisfied, that's when joy comes over you. And he writes this. C.S. Lewis writes this in The Weight of Glory. He says, Our lifelong nostalgia, our longing to be reunited with something in the universe from which we now feel cut off, to be on the inside of some door which we have always seen from the outside is no mere neurotic fancy, but the truest index of our real situation. And to be at last summoned inside would be both glory and honor beyond all our merits and also the healing of that old ache. Lewis is basically saying this. Do you know how we get joy? True joy comes from, you know, that feeling inside you that you have, that you're on the outside of some door, that you belong to some universe, not here, but something far off, that you've seen from afar, that you felt from afar. Lewis says this, true joy comes when we're finally summoned inside That is when the healing of this heart takes place, when this old ache is healed. And for Lewis, that void, that ache, is filled when you're summoned by Jesus himself, the king of the universe, when you're called into the kingdom, that longing that you have to be a part of something that you feel is far off and distant, that you know to be true when you are called and ushered in. That is joy. Rejoice in the Lord. You know, when I became a Christian about 20 years ago, um, I would read the Bible and I would write devotionals, I would write questions, and I would even write prayers. But I remember when I read Philippians for the very first time, I was so blown away by its message. I was floored by it, by its countercultural message. The only thing I can do was just write the verses again. I actually, yesterday, was digging through my old diaries, looking for it, and I actually found it. Um, I have some snapshots of it. This was in April 2003. 
I was just writing verses and just asking why, how, just writing amen, 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 over and over again. I remember when I first read Philippians, um, 2003, I read Philippians and I thought, how is this possible? Why is Paul talking about joy, contentment? He he calls us to rejoice, to live as Christ. Everything in this world is a loss in comparison to knowing Jesus. And I thought, how is this possible? How can I rejoice? This was 2003. It was about a year and a half after 9-11. And the country was still in shock. We were fighting what felt to be this never-ending war. We had just gotten out of the dot-com crash, and we were headed straight to another one, the housing crash. 2003, it felt felt like life was so chaotic that there was no way for me to actually rejoice. And I read this, and I was wondering, God, how? How? How can I rejoice? Well, it's 2020. Close to 20 years had passed. And as I start to think about the world that we live in today, I'd say not much has changed. Yes, we live in the most advanced, the most prosperous time. We live in a world and a country and a culture where we have multitudes of opportunity and options. And yet, contentment, peace, joy, they seem further away than they've ever been. And I realized the emotion that I have in 2020 is the same emotion I had in 2003 when I read Philippians. How? The world is lacking joy. How can I rejoice? And as I read this verse over again, Philippians 4.4, rejoice in the Lord. In other words, rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in what the Lord has done. Rejoice in who he is and what he will do. And it made me question once again, when was the last time that I thought upon my salvation and I was filled with joy? When was the last time that I looked to heaven, to the the return of Jesus, and I was filled with joy? When was the last time that I anticipated deliverance for my loved ones and for this world, and I was overcome with joy? Friends, family members, church, it's a reminder once again to rejoice in the Lord. One of the things I find interesting about this word rejoice, I think it's from an old French word, rejoice, but it actually is repetitive in nature. Rejoice, joy again, take joy again. And then Paul says what in today's verse? He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice And so this whole verse is just repetitive over and over. Take joy again, always. Again, I say, take joy again. Paul is reminding the church that joy is something that we have to constantly be reminded of, that we constantly are called to as we think upon our salvation and as we look forward to the deliverance that our Lord is going to bring. If you're struggling with this, two things. Think about when you were saved. And think about Jesus' return.
Forget everything that's going on right now and all the unknowns and all the anxieties. Think about when you were saved and think about when Jesus will return. Rejoice in the Lord. That will be enough. Would you join me in prayer at this time?